Hello, it's 15th of December 2018, and this is episode 87 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And Rachel, you know, it's been one year since we had The Last Jedi. A whole year. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. So everyone's been celebrating that at this uh, week on Twitter and watching the film again and posting lots of lovely fan art and having discussions about how amazing it is and how we're only a year from episode nine. Can't believe how fast the time's gone. Yeah. No, it's wild. Like, have you watched the film again? Um, well, I meant to. I, I watch it a lot anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yesterday like I wasn't feeling very well so I was home from work anyway and I watched The Force Awakens and then I meant to watch The Last Jedi afterwards but I just slept instead. Oh well it sounds like you needed it if you weren't feeling very well. Yeah but it's still pretty fresh in my mind because I think I watched it last week or the week before so it's it's just always on. It's, it's Oh my wow that's movie. really recent. It's been months since I saw really? it. Yeah no like I just because I don't have much time for um movies that aren't in the cinema because I have a like subscription card, like basically ninety percent of what I see, if not more, is at the cinema. So I'm like the opposite of most. Yeah, people. I'm the other way around. Going to the cinema is kind of expensive now that Movie Pass isn't really a thing anymore. So I stream yeah. a lot, and it's right yeah. at the top of Netflix. So I'm like, oh, I'll just put the Last Jedi on. <laughs> now we are a year away from it. Has has mm-hmm. your feelings on the Last Jedi kind of evolved or? Like, do you still love it as much, or do you love it more, or what do you think? Gosh, that's such a question. It's, like, settled for me, in that I feel like I understand its place more in the story. Like, I always remember the first time I saw it at the London premiere, I was just so, like, taken aback by everything that happened. Like, it was such a shock, it was oddly so unexpected despite following some of the spoilers and things so yeah it took a while to like adjust to what it actually was the fact that the film is so unexpected and ambiguous is a big part of why I now love it so much but yeah it was just a lot to handle the first time I saw it yeah I feel like you adjusted really quickly because then just a couple of weeks later we were doing those like really long episodes on you know Ray's journey and Kylo's journey and Finn's and everyone. Yeah, no, it did. Like, I was able to, like, organise my thoughts pretty quickly. The way I work is that I'm very good at, like, making sense of individual aspects for Thing. So by that, I mean, like, the role that Ray plays in the movie, the role that Kylo plays in the movie, the role that Finn plays in the movie. You know, but considering all those things independently, that's different from your experience of the film as a whole thing. You know, so that was a bit more of something to process for me okay it's a question of i'm not sure if i liked or loved it the first time right. but it was definitely one of those two things and now i definitely love it well for me like the defining thing at first was that it was about the experience of watching it with my friends because mm-hmm. um i saw it with the girls at meta machina and our friend Haley, and we had so mm-hmm. much fun and we watched it once and then went right back in after having some drinks and watched it a second time <laughs> oh amazing and then I think we watched it the next day as well um yeah yeah it was a lot of fun and it was what so many of us had been hoping to see um in broad strokes obviously like you say some things were surprising but I think generally like things especially like that central Ray and Carlo dynamic was what we'd been hoping for Um, yeah 
So that was just really satisfying. And I was listening yeah. to um, Courtney at Who Talks First. She was on the recent episode of um, Steel Wars. And she was mm-hmm. talking to him about how it felt as someone like from the Raylo side of the fandom watching that movie for the first time and she'd been totally unspoiled, which we can't say the same. But like from yeah. her perspective, when those forced connection scenes started coming up, she was just like, oh my God, <laughs> like, I can't believe this, yeah. you know, we were right. So that yeah. must have been a really amazing experience. I think that's actually a big part of it because the circumstances that I saw it in were so different. Like because I saw it at the premiere, that was several days before anyone else saw it, basically. Obviously other people saw it at other premieres and like, but like your friends the press and that sort of thing. But yeah, in terms of friends, so it was purely on me, you know, like I had to just sit on it and like process it like by myself for a while. And that's like a very different experience from watching it in a big group and everyone immediately like rushing to talk about it and discuss everything that's happened. You know, I didn't have that. Obviously, I did have that later after everyone else had seen it too. And we could all have a big discussion together. Does that mean you you think you might do things differently for episode nine? I mean, you might not have the opportunity to go to the premiere that time anyway. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I think I'll try to see it with a friend if possible. After that first time, did you see it with other people? Yes, I did see it with other people. Not like the time immediately after that, but I think like the third time I saw it with someone else. Yes. No, so that was good. I go to the cinema by myself plenty of times too, but like you say, mm. for something like that, where you are kind of connected to a wider fandom and everything, it, it is like fun to experience it with others. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I really love the movie. I love it so much. Like, I know we're not big into ranking. I know some fans are, and I totally get that. But I do find myself still being like, oh, I really love The Last Jedi. I think it's my favourite Star Wars movie. But is that okay to say? Because people hold the original trilogy, understandably, in such high regard that it feels almost blasphemy to say it's my favourite, but I think I enjoy it the most. No, I don't think that should feel like blasphemy. And you can enjoy, you can like recognise things as objectively better maybe, or like better in terms of how much influence they had on pop culture. Because you really... You can't overstate how influential the original trilogy was, right? Like, A New Hope is just, you know, groundbreaking in so many ways. And it's an amazing story. And it's so um, kind of wrapped up by itself. Like, it's so cohesive just as a film by itself. Whereas The Last Jedi, because it's the eighth in a saga, and we know there's one more to come, whereas people didn't know that at the time of Star Wars, it feels incomplete in a way. Um, Yeah. So... Yeah, but I don't know. I, I just, I still, a year later, find myself reaching to that one the most. So Yeah. All film is so subjective, you know, and I think the only barometer you should be looking at when, like, considering what your favourite thing is, is which one do I enjoy the most? And if that's The Last Jedi, then that's completely legitimate and no one should be able to take that away from you. Yeah. I can't say which one it is. I think it's either The Last Jedi or The Force Awakens, but... I also think I'd want to rewatch both of them close together before I could tell you which one. I do think The Force Awakens gets kind of lost in the shuffle now because all the talks on The Last Jedi and sometimes it almost seems like people don't, I don't know, like recognise how much JJ actually achieved in terms of setting up the, the characters and the foundations of the story. Because yeah. Ryan didn't just come out of nowhere and like build these things. They were there. The oh, yeah. The seeds were there. So. 
Yeah, no, I think The Force Awakens is really, really misjudged. I, I think it is a lot to do with expectation, unfortunately, which is an extremely difficult thing to control for filmmakers. Yeah, it just makes me so intrigued to find out how they're going to market Nine. Aside from the obvious stuff like, oh, it's the last one in the saga. Yeah. Will they kind of lean into the perceptions of The Last Jedi? build on that or will it be like a return to the abrams era of the sequel trilogy that kind of thing oh god yeah it's gonna be very interesting i think they're gonna have to walk a very fine line like in terms of keeping as many people happy as they can you know without like completely betraying anyone's side Mm. so they can't market it like by saying don't worry everything you didn't like about the last jedi is fixed here Woo, you know and equally they can't and equally, I think they're going to have to do something to try and entice back the people who felt disillusioned with how certain things went, you know? They can't completely ignore that audience. Like, I really hope that audience isn't, like, shamelessly pandered to, but they're going to be given to something, you know? And I don't know what that something is, but we will find out through the marketing because they're going to want people to know about it. Right, okay, so then let's move into the news. Um, And the first thing to discuss is that the cast of The Mandalorian has been officially announced via styles.com. Would you like to read the article, Kirsty? You only need to read the first three paragraphs, to be honest. The rest is stuff we already know. Okay. Lucasfilm is pleased to announce the cast of the first ever Star Wars live-action series, The Mandalorian. Pedro Pascal has been cast in the title role as a lone Mandalorian gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy. He is joined by Gina Carano from Deadpool, Giancarlo Esposito, Breaking Bad, Emily Swallow, Supernatural, Carl Weathers, Predator, Omid Abtahi, American Gods, Werner Herzog, Grizzly Man, and Nick Nolte, Affliction. We're having a great time working with this incredibly talented group and excited for everyone to see what we're up to, says executive producer John Favreau. So yeah, that's quite the cast. Yeah, though it's an impressive list of names. I'll be honest and say that, like, I haven't seen many of these people and things. Um, the ones I know the best are Pedro Pascal, and I've seen some of what Werner Herzog has directed, but I'm not sure I've seen any of the other people act. So how familiar are you with these people um i've watched a bit of breaking bad so i know esposito from that but mostly what i know him from is like earlier spike lee films like do the right thing Mm -hmm. okay and i've seen (laughs) okay this is really silly but i haven't seen predator but i've seen carl weathers in arrested development (laughs) okay (laughs) and he was great in that but (laughs) something tells me it's a very different kind of role yes i am so excited about herzog um again like not particularly like from an actor point of view because i'm like you i'm more familiar with him as a director but i am such a fan of his work that and he has if people don't know him he has the most iconic voice it is so recognizable it's like that i don't know that really resonant bavarian accent it's yeah. just amazing. For a minute, I thought you were going to do an impersonation. No, I can't. <laughs> and I could never do that. I was like, oh, please, please do one. No, but please, if you don't know him, go and listen to a clip on YouTube. Or a load of his movies are on Netflix. I just rewatched um, Cave of Forgotten Dreams when this was announced because I was like, yes, I need to hear his voice. Oh, um, nice. And I'm so excited because to have him yeah. in the galaxy is amazing. Like, I don't know how they managed to score him. Maybe he's a big Star yeah. Wars fan. I have no idea, but. This is amazing. Yeah. 
No, it's crazy weird. <laughs> it's like Werner Herzog. So I know he does act, but like he's really so much better known as a director. He's so prolific, it's always surprising yeah. to me when I'm reminded that he does actually act as well. It's like, oh yeah, what? Yeah, I mean, obviously he's in his own documentaries, but... <laughs> yeah, that's sort of different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I realise I have seen him act in one thing. I've seen him act in Jack Reacher, the Tom Cruise film. Um, and he just played, like, the big bad in that. He was, like, some sinister, like, criminal mastermind, basically. Um, and, and he was good. I remember him having a striking voice. I remember him being scary, um, which is great. Um, like, my biases about Werner Herzog would probably lead me to imagine that he'll play some sort of villainous role. But there's absolutely no way of telling, so it's really not worth going down that path. Yeah, the, there's no way to tell because there's just this amazing presence he has in his own documentaries. They feel so personal. He has such a beautiful perspective on the world and the way he puts his documentaries together, it's almost like in this weird post-truth way. Yeah, he's such a brilliant director and yeah, it's going to be so great to see what he brings to it as an actor. Yeah, with the people who've been cast, I've seen some people note that it's a significantly older cast than we used to with Star Wars projects. I think the youngest person among the people they've announced is 38, hmm. which is interesting. Like Maybe they're seeking a more mature audience for this. I think sure. it is going to be a bit more adult-oriented, and it's it's obviously not going to be in like this classic Star Wars coming-of-age story mold. So Yes. Yeah, I'm interested to see where it goes. It, you know, this is a great cast. So Yeah. like I definitely get the impression that with The Mandalorian, they're very much trying to appeal more to nostalgic fans. Like, don't get me wrong, I think that they'll just want to make a great show that anyone can watch and enjoy. But I think by like drawing upon that like imagery of the Boba Fett armour, and yeah, by having this very like established cast of veteran actors and stuff, like a lot of ingredients are there to like appeal to that older skewing audience. Oh, I kind of had a different impression when I saw this cast list. It kind of made me feel like they were going after that demographic of TV audiences with, you know, who have a real love of high budget things like Game of Thrones, you know, with really impressive okay. casts. Um, mm. Obviously, John Favreau is a big Star Wars fan and he's made no secret of the fact that he's going to weave in these different references, but... I think this casting is so impressive. People outside of yeah. the fandom will be like, oh, cool, I'm going to take a look at that. Like, Pedro Pascal yeah. is, you know, revered for all of these different things. Now, Narcos has been getting really great reviews. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, I'm i just really interested to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I think you make a really good point there because, yeah, we are so much in the age of peak TV that it really has a lot to live up to in terms of competition and proving itself as a must-watch show. So yeah, I really look forward to checking it out. Right, okay. Then the next news story to talk about is that Mark Hamill has been talking to Entertainment Weekly about some of the intense security measures that are in place on the episode 9 set. Right, and I'll just read out the article, um, or at least parts from it. While on set for History's Nightfall in Prague, Hamill said he has yet to shoot most of his scenes for episode 9, but some recent script changes were delivered under a rather intense new level of security, 
and he noted how things have evolved since the first Star Wars movie back in 1977. I still have to go over and do episode 9, Hamill said. Most of the parts I have coming up besides Star Wars are voiceover. There's one big one, very high profile, I can't announce now that I'm really excited about. You know how it is these days, every time you sign NDAs. I remember back when I read the first Star Wars script. I was like, wow, this is the goofiest thing I've ever read. I gave it to my best friend to read, and I said, what do you think of it? He said, it's really wild, it's crazy, can I give it to Meredith? Sure, go ahead. It went around to all my friends. Of course, back then nobody cared. Nowadays, it's like working for some secret deep state government organisation, like being in the CIA. They're going to send rewrites over to Prague on this dark red paper that gives you a headache to read. And yeah, then he just goes on to talk a little bit more about that. They're going to fly the rewrites over with somebody from the company, Hamill said. They're going to come and give it to me and wait for me to read it before I give it back. So no pressure. You can't even keep it overnight, but that's the way it is now. And then just towards the end, the article says... Hamill said he spent about a week on episode 9 previously and will return for more shooting amid his nightfall schedule. And yeah, there's a bit more to the article, so I'd recommend that you go and read it if you're interested, but those are the key bits. Um, What did you get from this article, Kirsty? That Mark hasn't really been filming for episode (laughs) 9. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in the camp of expecting him to play a huge part in any way, just because I feel like The Last Jedi wraps up his arc very nicely. And I kind of assumed he'd be back as a force ghost for maybe one or two scenes for nine. But this kind of backs me up on that one. And I've seen other people go, oh, he's not going to be in it as much as I hoped then. Yeah. No, it definitely seems to suggest that, which is interesting and notable. Um, it shows how much can be read into the extent of an actor's filming schedule. Um, so I'm not even sure Mark should be like discussing this for anyone, but I suppose he's not technically breaking any rules by doing that. Um, but yeah, no, like it fits into what my understanding was as well, because yeah, Luke's arc is pretty much complete. There's potential for like a nice little epilogue to his journey in terms of him like seeing hope restored through Ray's actions which I hope is what we get. But yeah, he he's basically run his course as a character and I think it would kind of undermine how The Last Jedi ended if you tried to make him too prominent a role in episode nine. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see what they do with him and I think those scenes will be very powerful, but you don't want to water that down by having him in it too much. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. You want those to pack a punch. So if he's just there in the background all the time... <laughs> kind of undermines that yeah exactly and it's like how much can a force ghost actually do well <laughs> like, i'm sorry i mean well in the last jedi we saw yoda cause that lightning to come down and burn the tree so we know that yeah. they can actually have a physical impact on the real world now yeah no like in terms of that sort of stuff there's lots of possibilities but i guess i mean in terms of like the everyday sense it's like I doubt he can just like perpetually manifest and just chill oh, with people. Not him again. Just be at meetings. <laughs> That's the thing. It wouldn't have the serious resonance that a Force Ghost usually does, does it? Yeah, exactly. Like if yeah. you had Yoda popping up throughout The Last Jedi, that scene wouldn't have been so important. <laughs> yeah, like Yoda, who just like manifested on the back of Snoke's throne to like watch the, like, the fight with the Praetorian Guards. Going like, yes, yes, the wheel of the force, it is. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm confident he'll be used really well, and hopefully it'll be just as great a performance, but mm. obviously not to the degree that it is in The Last Jedi. Yes, absolutely. 
And I, I do feel some level of sympathy for them having to read off red paper because that cannot be very pleasant. Yeah, no, it sounds very stressful generally. Like, and it's tricky. So I understand the security measures, especially from JJ, because he, he's probably never got over the fact that the whole script basically for The Force Awakens leaks like six months before that the movie came out. That must have been maddening. Yeah, like it must have been like even heartbreaking, I'd say, to be honest, when you've worked so hard on something. And yeah, then just to have everyone picking it apart in script form, that's really rough. So he's got an extra incentive to be super surreptitious about it. Then we can move on to talking about the latest episode of Star's Resistance, which is Station Feet of Black, and that closed the first half of the first season, which is exciting. Um, and yeah, just the one-line synopsis for this is... What begins as a simple recon mission of an abandoned First Order base becomes much more complicated once Captain Phasma shows up. And yet this episode features the return of Poe because him and Kaz are on this mission together. And yet, Kirsty, what did you think about this? I really enjoyed it. I always think that um, the episodes with Oscar and Gwendolyn are so great. Like Their voice acting is just excellent. Yeah, they're, they're really committed to it. Yeah, and I, I don't know, like... It it worked really well for me as like a mid-season finale because it's really cool to see things tie up with things with the First Order and kind of remind mm-hmm. you that there is a life outside of the Colossus. But at the same time, um, it almost speaks to the success of the show for me in a weird way that I'm like, oh, I kind of wish we were back on the Colossus and seeing more of those characters because I really yeah. like them now and no, I'm invested in them. Yeah. No, so I like Kaz and I like Poe, but yeah, like I like seeing the fabric of that whole community on the Colossus. So yeah, I definitely miss that element. And I'd like to see it so that if when Kaz is going on these missions, another character could go with him at some point. I understand that at this point that isn't possible because the whole idea is that he's secret. Like no one's meant to know he's a spy yet. But of course that's inevitably going to come out in the future. So when it does, I look forward to it being opened up a bit more and seeing things get changed up. Yeah, I'm interested to see as they get closer to the TFA timeline, whether... Things are more separated like this. Like one week it's him on a mission with Poe and then the next week they're back on the Colossus. Or like you say, there's a way to integrate those narratives a bit more. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because right now it feels a little bit separated with good reason. But as that develops and as maybe more of his friends become aware (laughs) of what's actually going on, uh, it would be a good way to develop their arcs too. Yeah, definitely. There's all kinds of potential there. It's exciting. Um, but yeah, no, it's a good episode. I enjoyed it and I had fun with it. Like Kirsty, like I kind of missed the Colossus. And I think I also did that bad thing of perhaps setting my expectations a little bit too high for it. I think I might have expected some sort of like big revelation that might change the course of the show. But ultimately, it's just about reinforcing what we already know, which is that, yes, the First Order is up to nefarious things. And there is progression in that Kaz and Poe are able to get concrete proof of that that they pass on to Leia. So that's a milestone within the context of the show. I guess it's just not as impactful for me as a viewer because, yeah, of course we know that the First Order is getting up to bad stuff. So while you understand that the characters are approaching it from a different perspective and they need that proof in order to justify why the Resistance is active, it lacked a bit of something for me. But that's fine. So it was still fun. It's almost painful to watch because it's like, oh my god, you know what's happening, you know what's about to happen, 
but everything has to yeah. move at this glacial pace. And I just really feel for Leia because at this point, she has been trying to convince the galaxy that the First Order is a threat for like six years. And yeah. I just can't imagine the level of frustration where she's like, wow, I need evidence of every single little thing so that these idiot senators will pay attention and take this seriously. And you know that those yeah. senators are going to die because of their own hubris yeah. and just apathy towards something that they're probably indirectly profiting from. So yeah. I just, I can't, like, that's what it's, like, on a level, the tension is agonizing to watch because it's like, yeah. at this point, Kaz and Poe and characters like them are risking their lives just for the sake of convincing people who probably don't even want to listen. Yeah. It's, it's painful. No. It is. It's very, like, frustrating to watch. And Paul Kaz <laughs> is like, yeah, if they're anything like my parents, they're not going to care. Yeah. It's just, no, which is really. For Leia to have to hear that is probably just absolutely horrible. Yeah. But not unexpected. Yes, I bet that sort of evidence that Kaz and Poe get, that probably forms like a parcel of, of information that Leia then gives to Corsella to take to Hosnian Prime to try and make the case. But yeah, obviously it's all blown to smithereens. Yeah, it's too <laughs> it's late. Tragic waste. She's, she's yeah. been working towards this for years, and by the time they actually get it there, Corsella's going to die. It's yeah. Horrendous. No, it's very heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, no, I'm really pleased with how the show's developed so far. I think it had a really strong first half of the season. I think it's really proven itself as an important part of the canon. Like, it's really setting up a lot of groundwork for what's to come in The Force Awakens, mm -hmm. which I really appreciate. And they're developing that droid romance nicely. Yes. That's the only romance I need from Resistance, the love droids. Yeah, no, that's so cute. <laughs> like, and I just love that they're in their own little world for brief moments until they're cruelly separated by the masters. Yeah. It's very mean. I wonder if when BB-8 inevitably has to go off with Poe again as we get closer to the the events of the movies, whether CB-23 will replace him? That would make a lot of sense. Because Kaz is presumably going to need a alternative astromech droid. So I could see like an emotional like parting between BB-8 and the other one. <laughs> CB-23. CB-23. I'm sorry, I'm very bad at remembering things like names. Especially when they're like codes and letters and numbers. <laughs> Even when they've literally been said to me five minutes ago. <laughs> or less than that, 30 seconds ago. <laughs> no worries. I was also relieved to see that um, the actress who played Leia had been replaced. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure we ever spoke about the situation with Rachel Batera. We didn't because show. by the time... By the time we were going to record that episode, I think we'd already we'd already heard that things were going to happen. It was just a case of whether they were going to be able to replace her in time for this season, because obviously animation yeah. is planned way far in advance. Um, yes, but she wasn't in the episode too much, so and she hasn't yeah. been in the season very much. And in the first episode, she didn't really speak. So. Yeah, I don't think she spoke at all, did she? Like it was, and I don't know whether that you was just see Poe talking to her. I don't know whether that was the original choice or whether they removed lines and then they were like, okay, well, we'll solve the problem later, you know? Right? Yeah. Um, Gosh, it's such a shame that whole situation. But I think the new actress they're using for Leia now, she's doing a good job. Exactly, it's a nice performance. So the opportunity went to someone else who exactly appears to understand the responsibility of voicing princess leia so that's carolyn hennessy yeah. 
And I really yeah. liked her performance. It's obviously not like a one-for-one copy or impression of Carrier's Leia, but I liked that it was quite different. She's putting her yeah. own spin on the character. Yeah, exactly. It's like the voices in the Clone Wars, they're not always exact matches for the actors in the live-action films. They don't need to be. They give it their own flair. Exactly. They fit the character just in a different way. Exactly. Yeah, and then just very briefly, I want to mention this because I don't think there's any real value in discussing them in detail. Um, But just to bring it up, in the gap between the two halves of the season, on YouTube, I think on just the Disney YouTube channel, I'm not 100% sure, they've started releasing brief little shorts, like, themed around Resistance, just to, like, fill the space. And, yeah, I think they're really cute. I've only watched a few of them. I am not completely up to date. But they're quite adorable. And there's no, like, stakes to them. It's just, like, cute little scenes, basically. I'm not sure if they're deleted scenes, perhaps, from episodes. But they function fine independently. And they're just nice little ways to keep the show in your memory when it's off air. Yeah, the only one I've watched so far is Niku's Reward. But I loved it. Um, yeah. I'll be watching all of I them. I haven't seen that one. I think it's just a great way to, yeah, like you said, because everyone's going to miss the show because it's yeah. so great. So it's like, okay, well, we've got a few weeks off. Like you say, they might be things that were just already there and they cut them out of the show. So a little bit to tide us over. Yeah. No, I think they've done a really great job of winning people over with resistance. I've seen so many people who were skeptical about it or didn't like the trailers come out and say like wow I really like this show you know like with real surprise yeah I mean what's not to love yeah no exactly I think it's nice though shows that when people give someone a chance they can be surprised by it right and now we're going to move into a special spotlight section with our guest Melissa would you like to say hello Melissa hello I'm happy to be back and we're really glad to have you back on that note, there's so much catching up to do. Um, yeah, as I've already mentioned in the start of the main show, um, it is going to be the year anniversary of The Last Jedi's release this week. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and it feels way more recent than that, to be honest. I can't believe a whole year's gone by. And we've had another Star Wars movie since then. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that's true. I keep forgetting that, yeah, that was just a few months ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I feel mean, but I, I really feel like Solo is very easy to forget. And I say that's someone who enjoyed it. They released it at the wrong time. Do you think it would have been better if, like, right now if Solo would be coming out? I think people needed more time to process The Last Jedi and then get excited about Star Wars again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just too close. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Like, it wasn't the best choice. Although it's difficult because this year there's so many movies coming out right now. Because there's like Bumblebee and Aquaman and Mortal Engines and Mary Poppins. It's really oversaturated with all these big films. Exactly. There's so much competition. So I'm not sure how it would have done. I think it probably would have done better, to be honest. But it's difficult to say how much better. But yeah, so I know, Melissa, that since we last spoke, there have been some momentous occasions in your yes, life. Yes. Including an encounter with someone rather special. So since the last time I've been on, um, I, I've gotten to meet General Hux himself, which, well, I've met Donald Gleason. Oh, 
<laughs> and he's one of my favorite actors. And even before TFA, I was a big fan of his. So it was mm. just so I saw him at the Leicester Square in London premiere of Goodbye Christopher Robin, and I stood out kind of in the fan area, and we you know could say hi to the celebrities as they walked by, and. And I got to take a picture with him, and I I told him he looked nice in his suit because he did he Aww. did look really nice. Oh, I bet he did. He he cleans up really good. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And he oh, he's so tall in person, and oh, he's just so nice. And I love his Irish accent. And oh, oh my so god, lovely. I just feel blessed. And then we got to see the movie afterwards because the. The security guys were like, yeah, there's some extra seats. Who wants to watch the movie? And we're like, yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I got to see the the premiere of Goodbye, Christopher Robin. And that, I thought the film was really good, too. So Yeah. And I bet Donal introduced it, right? Yeah. So all the actors came out um, in, at the front. Well, they first had that kind of um, the the band that plays in the movie f- on the the kid's birthday they had that them perform on stage and then the actors came out and the director introduced the movie and and then we got to see all the actors again and then they went off and then they started the film and that was just really cool because I've never really been to a premiere like that before either or been to the red carpet or anything yeah so it, was, it was it was quite the the fun experience. Yeah, and am I right to think that you all got chocolate or something? Yes. Well? Oh, it was so cool. So yeah, there's like these. Um, they gave there's free water and free chocolate bars in all the seats, but I had like two like empty seats next to me, so I just totally went for the chocolate. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> because it was just like they put it out on every seat. And I'm like, oh yes, please. Well, because I've been standing like outside in Leicester Square for like at least three hours, and. I was hungry and I was tired of standing in a cramped position. So I'm like, yes, chocolate nourishment. Yeah, and it was it was all worth it though. And and yeah. Donal, the chocolate nourished my stomach and Donal nourished my soul. So. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's something to like literally have on your like headstone. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> oh, that's marvelous! I'm so glad you got that experience. I, I know, I know. I, there's very few people I would have stood out there because I know some people go to a lot of premieres, and it's just so strenuous. I really admire people that just stand out there and they just can do that. But yeah. for me, it has to be someone I really, really want to meet. And yeah. Donald's like one of the few people that I would like stand out in the elements for to to see. So yeah. I'm really glad I was able to do that. Oh. For me, though, it's really tricky. I just I'm not sure how I'd be able to keep my composure. Yeah, you know, oh my legs people... were shaking. Yeah. Oh my, oh my god. god. And it was like pure adrenaline. And then when Donald walked away, I like leaned over the and the guy next to me was kind of like the same way. And we we're like, oh, like I was like, oh my god. Like, <laughs> And I, I, I felt my like legs almost give out and I was Aww. just kind of leaned over the, the barrier. For... <laughs> Those moments happen so quickly though. It's almost like an out-of-body experience. Like I got a photo with some friends um, with Mark Hamill at oh, the last celebration. And it was it just happened so quickly. You know, you go in, he says hello, you take the picture, you're shaking his hand and then you leave. And oh. and then it's like, oh, I just met Mark Hamill. Yeah, you know, I totally like, want to see Mark at the next the... celebration. If I can. Yeah, he was really lovely. Yeah. Um, right, to move on from Encounters of Celebrities, um, because, yeah, <laughs> obviously you haven't been like on the show since it came out. So yeah. just quickly, what were your thoughts about The Last Jedi? 
um, I loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I remember I went to the midnight premiere at, in Westfield, London, um, on the December fourteenth, the midnight when it came out here in the UK, mm-hmm. and I it's just I still remember it. I went into the cinema and it was in the in the shopping center, so I w- took the lift up, and the shopping center had been all quiet because every all the stores were closed, and then when when the lift doors opened to the cinema. Like it was just so buzzing with activity, and everyone was so excited and wearing Star Wars shirts. Oh, and, and I, it was just pure like excitement. And I remember sitting down and just feeling chills when like the you know the opening crawl came out, and mm. and I just love. And I walked out of there just with the the biggest smile on my face because it was just such a great film, and um, it's definitely my favorite out of the new Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. I would say um. Emperor Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi are still my two favorites overall. But from yeah. all of the films mm-hmm. that have recently come out, including Rogue One and Solo, I think Last Jedi is my favorite so far. It's just, I really appreciate what, where Ryan took the characters that were introduced in The Force Awakens. And it's mm. just, it was just so good. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's such a great movie, and yeah, it's just unbelievable to think it's been a year now. I, I can't believe it. It's been a whole year. It feels like it just came out. Yeah, I, yeah. I've got this really weird like relationship with it in a way because I feel both like it's still really new, and also like it's this really intrinsic part of the mythology. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, like, I have like dual feelings about it, basically. No, I feel the same. Like it's it's hard to believe it's been a year, but at the same time, you just feel like this is so Star Wars, mm. and like you know all the lines already. You feel like you know the entire movie by heart. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's really special. Yeah, it's yeah. really awesome. Um, yeah, and in terms of Star Wars coming up here shortly in the UK, they're going to be showing The Force Awakens on TV on ITV over Christmas. Oh, really? Oh, I usually yeah. marathon Star Wars over Christmas anyway, so that's yeah. that pretty cool. If you have a TV, it's definitely going to be worth doing. Yeah. I might try and press gang some people into watching it with me. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what day it's on? Oh, I think it was closer to New Year than Christmas. Oh, right. I remember that. Okay. I'll double check and let you know. Because yeah. it's the, like the network premiere of that, right? Exactly, yeah. In the UK, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Which is always fun. I don't like watching movies of adverts, but to watch it on the first time it's ever shown on TV there's something quite special about that oh my so. god what if there's like a special teaser that they show during <laughs> oh my the god. episode 9 what if they would do something like that <laughs> no in ITV it would be introduced by Ant and Deck or something <laughs> <laughs> there are rumours we might get something over Christmas so I'm, still, I'm still hoping I think Celebration next year will for sure. Oh yeah. Which I I'm going to celebration, so I'm really excited and yeah. counting down the days till that. But yeah. Oh, us too. Yeah, really excited. Chicago's gonna be lit, you guys. Oh, totally. <laughs> it's gonna be next level. <laughs> it's like I feel like I only really half did. Well, not even half did. More like quarter did celebration 2016 because I was literally just there for the day. Yeah. And I just went on one day too. So this yeah. time I'm doing the whole convention, and I'm so excited. 
Yeah, same. And that's actually how Melissa and I met. Yeah. So I'm not sure oh, we yeah. mentioned that on the last show. <laughs> but we met on the um, night bus to a celebration. Yeah, I still remember that. You came, it was Trafalgar Square where you got on the bus. And <laughs> yeah. and then you sat next to me. And then, you know, more and more people came on all wearing Star Wars shirts. And I was like, oh, yeah, look at my shirt too. And you're like, oh, you're also going to celebration. And then we started talking. And the yeah. rest is history. Exactly. <laughs> and then didn't you work out that Melissa actually knew you from your blog or something yeah i'd already been following her on tumblr (laughs) (laughs) which is the weirdest yeah that celebration was so integral in so many ways because that's also where kirsty and i met for the first time although we'd planned Mm -hmm. that in advance it wasn't a coincidence yeah and it's really cool and that convention was the genesis of scavengers horde the podcast you are now listening to so crazy crazy stuff yeah, it was yeah, like, we can talk time. about Star Wars for hours with each other. So Exactly, yeah, that's our special ability, being able to talk about <laughs> Star Wars at great length. Uh, yep, so I think that now we have preambles out of the way, we can move into the meat of this, which is why we brought Melissa onto the show. Because she might be Hux's number one fan. Aww. Like or, or definitely among their legion. I'm definitely because I don't want to like get into a fist fight at, at celebration <laughs> with the other Hux fans and say yeah, I'm yeah. number one. But yeah, no, I'm course. definitely a big fan of General Hux. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Sorry, I don't mean to make it like a um, tears thing. <laughs> Melissa, have you seen the director in the Jedi that documentary? Oh, I know what part you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, there's that really cute moment the, where ryan doesn't realize that hux has super fans yeah, and he thinks the, it's russian he thinks bots. it's russian bots but it's actually yeah. just actual people that like hux on twitter and he's like <laughs> oh all, all these people are tweeting me i although i don't think ryan actually said it was bots i think it was like a, a journal article that picked up on that i'm not sure oh but okay ryan just said people are tweeting him and then a, a journal not journal a, a press article said that something about bots but yeah okay. but yeah. It, it was still really funny to see that clip yeah he seemed baffled by the idea that people be like please don't well kill it him. worked maybe <laughs> no <laughs> i guess at that point he was like don't worry i won't I'm I'm glad because some people are like, oh, he's gonna die in the last Jedi, and, and I knew that was a possibility. But I'm like, they have Donal, so it's like they want to use Donal, and if they mm. get to ha- use him for all three movies, then like you don't waste an actor like Donal. Like he he can just he's just amazing. Like yeah. he has he so much really potential. Great. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that Hux was going to die because they hadn't considered that Snoke was going oh, to die. Oh, true. Yeah. So someone bad yeah, had to die. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm glad it was Snoke. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Me too, actually. The right villain died. <laughs> um, yeah, so on that note, like, Melissa, how do you feel about how Hux was developed in The Last Jedi? How do you feel about what they did with that character? I, I really thought it was interesting what Ryan did. I mean, we see, like, pretty much Hux on the worst day of his life. <laughs> and, and he just struggles as things go repeatedly even worse and worse and even more wrong for him <laughs> and yes. and as i really like the opening scene um with hux bantering with with well, poe just messing with him and because first of all i was like oh the first scene of the movie already has hux so i was like yes and and, and then it was just it was just so funny i just love that dynamic between um oscar isaac and donald gleason and that's something i hope we see more of but um, but 
yeah, I really like what Ryan did because they played him for a comedic effect, but we also pretty saw much saw a natural progression of what was happening to Hux and um, that he was just falling apart throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, I think they um, presented it in an interesting way as well because they altered his appearance to reflect that as well. Yes. He looks so much unhealthier in The Last yeah. Jedi yes. than he did in The Force Awakens. That is a man who has not slept <laughs> in days. Yeah. He looks almost like vampiric, you know. He's so like pale and like yeah. the eyes are so tired and sunken and yeah. Like don't don't get me wrong, he still looks pretty good. It's Donald Gleason. Of course but... Donald always looks good, but Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, they clearly made him look like someone who's suffering a great deal. Yeah. Which yeah, was a nice easy way to tell that yeah, he's been going through a lot <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Since the last film ended. Um because, yeah, it's interesting to see that relationship between Snoke and Hux in terms of how Hux is basically just literally slammed around by Snoke yes. yeah. in this and really what, violent way. Yeah, what I thought was really interesting about that is we see the scene of Hux being slammed onto the floor and then the next scene later after Hux has talked to Snoke, he's like all happy because like Snoke's happy with him again. Yeah, And, and that kind of really shows us that Hux has this kind of complex relationship with authority figures um mm. and like he's kind of always wants to be praised by them and like even if they're like quite abusive towards him he's yeah. kind of just that's kind of how he's used to it because what we know from like the phasma novel his relationship with his father was pretty tumultuous and brendel was not very nice to to armitage so mm. we can kind of see that reflected a little bit just in how he reacts to like snoke and his actions in the film yeah it's really disturbing how he's treated so badly and then like the next time you see him with snoke because he's being praised he has this like smug smile on his face like oh like because then he gets to lord that over kylo and it's like well we just saw you being completely punished by him yeah Mm. so it's like oh no this is not good yeah almost disturbing like how snoke like pits those two against each other and then like just really plays with Hux like that because Snoke pretty much knows how Hux's mind works I'm sure yeah mm-hmm. it definitely really made me want to see that story about how Snoke basically infiltrated the First Order yeah and like gained authority there and like gained influence over Hux because yeah in the Phasma novel like Armitage he seems quite like like he seems like a bit of a free agent you know you don't get yes. the impression that he's working under anyone and he's certainly not out to like seek the approval of anyone apart from himself and there's clearly been some shift there because yeah when we get to the sequel trilogy he's all about pleasing Snoke and serving Snoke and he's an extremely loyal and obedient servant to him yeah so yeah I want to see how Snoke pulled off that seduction I guess it seems like Snoke kind of infiltrated the first order like really gradually because he just kind of you know weaseled his way into them and then probably got rid of the the people that you know were like following his orders and kept around those that were loyal to him and then just kind of climbed his way to power like that i think it's something like that yeah makes me wonder if snoke would have been aware of what hux and phasma cooked up for Brendel. Mm, yeah, he probably was okay with it because, you know, Brendel was another person that could have challenged Snoke maybe at some point. 
So maybe he probably did know. I'm I'm pretty certain, but we don't know that for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, just for the sake of those who perhaps haven't read the Phasma novel, would you like to explain what Hux Junior does to Hux Senior in that book, <laughs> <laughs> Melissa? It's really gross. Yeah, he pretty much has Phasma um, kill him, and in quite. Um, a brutal way. Brendel's literally liquefied in a Bacta tank from poison from a poison beetle bite. So there are these poisonous beetles that are part of like the story um, in Phasma, and if one bites you, pretty much disintegrate. Well, then Brendel like feels sick because like he's like, oh, something's wrong, and he didn't doesn't realize that he's been bitten by one of these beetles that conveniently crawled on him from for no apparent reason, and. <laughs> And they put him in a bank back to tank and he just yeah disintegrates. So there's no evidence. They murder him and there's no evidence and and Hux is pretty happy about this because in the Phasma novel, um, like Cardinal comes to him and and is like, Oh my gosh, Phasma killed him and, and Hux is like, Yeah, I know. I asked him to. He's pretty much like straight up, yeah. He's like I'm the he's like I'm glad the old bastard is dead. Like he's just he's yeah. So the, the is that the scene where Hux is in his dressing gown? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's on the, his blue couch in his in his dressing gown. Yeah. That was that was a good scene. I really liked that scene. That was my favorite. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Has there been lots of fan art of that by any chance? I think I've seen a few. Yeah, and it does appear a lot in fanfic as well. So. Good. Yeah, but especially the part that he doesn't like to keep Kylo waiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh of course they use that. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So we again returning to the portrayal of Hux in yeah. the Last Jedi. Um, like, did you feel surprised by how the character was treated, like compared to how he was? characterized in the force awakens so i know there was lots of criticism from some quarters about the fact that they felt the hux was turned into more of a joke character and yeah i was just wondering if you'd like to talk about that yeah um yeah i remember right after last Jedi came out there was a lot of discussion and some people thought oh the hux's character is completely different from t of a but i think um what ryan did he could have went in a few different directions but what he did do was really consistent with where hux would have mentally been um from the end of tfa into the last jedi Um, yeah because in tfa pretty much hux reaches the highlight of his whole life like it's his shining moment his big speech and the firing of star killer base and that's pretty much like he's been climbing the ranks and that's what he's been working towards and then at the end of tfa star killer base gets destroyed and pretty much all of that is like shattered apart and so the end of tfa is beginning like of the end of you know hux's success and his career is falling apart in front of him so i think like it's kind of a natural progression because in last jedi we see hux um just desperately trying to salvage the situation and still not losing face even though everything just keeps going wrong one thing after another and so mm. um yeah for me i kind of choke around and say last jedi could be called the worst day of general hux's life yeah um, because it is the worst day of his life so far because everything keeps going bad so of course he's not going to completely be like on his game and he's going to be a complete mess because 
that's what's happening to him. Everything's going wrong from his point of view. Um, and I, I do like what Ryan did because it was played for comedic effect, but we do get these glimpses of that Hux is still like scheming and the wheels are still turning in his mind. Um, especially that shot where he reaches for his blaster when like Kylo Ren is unconscious in the throne room floor. And we, we can see that, you know, everything's going wrong, but he's still looking for kind of opportunities to, to you know, climb the ranks of power and to continue upward in his goals. And, and of course, my absolute favorite shot of General Hux in Last Jedi is that last scene of him um, mm. where um, they're, they're on crate and he's looking towards, like, where Kylo just went and that look of pure loathing. Um, it, and it's just, like, pure loathing and pure scheming and you can just see that, oh, he, he's already plotting something. Like, he's, he's not going to let Kylo Ren be supreme leader without, like, trying, you know, something. So it's it's really good. I, I, I really like what Ryan did. And we got so much more screen time of Hux than we did in TFA. I think the screen time was almost doubled because I did my mm. timestamp post I like to do after <laughs> yeah. each of the films. And it was, yeah, it was at least twice as much. Um, I, we probably won't get as much in episode nine, but I am, am happy with the amount of time because he wasn't a lot of scenes in Last Jedi, even if they were short scenes, he was throughout the whole movie. So, but I, I do really like Ryan's portrayal of, of Hux. It, it was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised at some of that criticism because yeah. I found him really funny in The Force Awakens anyway. That's yeah. true. That's true. He's like, because his speech, like they had Donal like just ham it up, you know, the, the speech before yeah. the, they fire Starkiller base. And because Donal had said in interviews that there's so many takes of that and they took the take where he was the craziest and you can actually see like his spit flying and they, so they were like keep going keep going and when he's hamming it up the most that's the take that they use so I think yeah. JJ kind of had the same idea of the character I think it's pretty consistent it's yeah. just that yeah no Hux is just kind of a hot mess but but, yeah. we, but we love him <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think it's interesting, it's like in The Force Awakens, you see like Kylo and Hux and they're both these like very highly strung, ambitious young men yeah. who basically feel like they're in control and feel like they're like on the verge of achieving like their great power, their great dream. So for Kylo, that is like the ultimate acceptance into the dark side yeah. that he thinks that killing his father will bring him. And for Hux, that is actually getting Starkiller base good to go and destroying the New Republic. Yeah. And I think Hux is definitely more successful in that than Kylo is. But again, they're both sort of... It still doesn't go well for him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're both like compromised victories. Yeah. Because for Kylo, the whole idea is that while he does what should have made him plunge further into the dark side and feel more like an evil badass. It just makes him feel wretched and terrible. Yeah. Um, whereas for Hux, it's like, yeah, he destroys the New Republic, basically. So big win there. But then Starkiller Base is destroyed. So for Hux, is not as psychological, I don't think, as it is for right. Kylo, because right. Kylo is obviously a more prominent character and they explore his psychology in greater depth. Um. But yeah, I think you see an interesting arc for the characters in in terms of their level of power and their level of self-control. And then by the time you get to The Last Jedi, 
both those characters they're really at their lowest points in many different ways and yeah then it's interesting to see what the film does with them in order to transition them away from that low low point because yeah for kylo it seems to be this great ascendancy from a certain point of view in that he rises up and becomes the leader of the first order is also portrayed as a tragedy and as if he's lost something hugely important and significant and he realizes that at the very end res for hux he basically spends the whole movie being shit on and yeah. kicked around by everyone else but then at the end with that look he gives kylo you get that like little hints that okay maybe this is the time for hux's ascendancy yeah. now yeah yeah there's some serious foreshadowing in that look yeah yeah and you wonder if hux is somehow going to realize that kylo offered to to Ray to rule the galaxy with him. Mm. Mm. You know, like it wasn't even about the First Order and there was like no consideration for the hierarchy that exists there. He kind of just wanted to start all over. Yeah. yeah. And where would that have left Hux? And then he tells him that, oh, the girl murdered Snoke. <laughs> so from Hux's point of view, it's like, okay, well, Ray's number one enemy. Like, obviously, the resistance in general is too, yeah. but like she's responsible for killing their supreme leader. So. Makes you wonder if that's going to have implications yeah. for 9 as well. well. I think the First Order is going to just be in a big mess at the beginning of Episode 9. And part of that's going to play into it as well. But it'll it'll be interesting. Yeah. I, I really hope that, that we get to see that portrayed with like the First Order in chaos. Because I think that would be something genuinely fresh and interesting that we yeah. haven't seen before. In the original trilogy... We never really get that sense of the Empire crumbling from the mm. inside. Like, is always portrayed as this authoritarian, mighty organisation. And I think that's due to George Lucas's preferred means of storytelling, which is having very clear, yeah. like, baddies and very clear, goody underdogs. Like, so the baddie has to be this absolute figure of authority and power, as in the Empire. But I think that now, with the sequel trilogy, there is more interest in, like, layers and mm. complexities and stuff, so... It's obviously not going to be a question of saying, oh, the First Order might actually be good. But it's going to be a question of saying, the First Order is just a freaking mess. <laughs> yeah, there's no more nuance to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting because in The Last Jedi, there isn't really much dwelling on the fact that Starkiller Base has been lost. You really just get that stress on the great victory that was the destruction of Hosnian Park Prime. And you get the sense that the First Order is really kicking into gear with its plan to take over the galaxy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I like that. And have you what? How much of Resistance have you watched, Melissa? Um, yeah, I'm just like two or three episodes behind. I still need to catch up. So I've seen up to Sonara's score. Okay, cool. Yes, it's interesting the little tidbits that that shows drop in yeah. with regards to the First Order because that is kind of starting to give us a picture. Of how the First Order was gradually seeding its influence. Mm, yeah. With the First Order making deals with places like the Colossus to offer them protection against pirates and that sort of thing. And I think that's an interesting way of offering that backstory and that texture that the films don't really have time for. But yeah. it does help to make sense of what the First Order is doing in terms of consolidating its power. Because if you just went by the films... Just the first order emerging from nowhere and saying, "Surprise, right. we're in charge yeah. now." That would have kind work. of randomly there, otherwise. Yeah, exactly. There's clearly got to be some of a groundwork behind it. 
I think there's a good chance of Hooks showing up at some point as well. In Resistance? Yeah. That'd yeah. be nice, yeah. I, I think they could do a scene between him and Phasma or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, or at least him giving orders to her or something. Yeah. I really like the exchanges between him and Edris and Peavy as well. I think they're oh, so gosh, good. Oh, gosh, yeah, that's so together. good. I, I, I love that whole dynamic because there's these kind of remnants of the, the Empire, the time, you know, when the Empire is in power, and there's this few kind of older officers that have to deal with like these young upstarts like Hux that have like less combat experience, but they've gone through like academy and, but they all think, oh, if we just have the best kind of technology and weapons, that will win the whole thing. And then these, these older officers are just kind of like, ugh. and it's just, I just love it. It's just a wonderful, I, and I hope that carries over into episode nine, maybe um, with some of the problems in the first order, but I, I, I love PV and, and Kennedy and, Th- those are so good, those moments. Yeah. Oh, that's Adrian Edmondson's character. Sorry, I had to look him up yes. to see who he was. I still can't believe that he's in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then to move on, like, how about the future for Hux? So we've obviously touched upon this a bit in the previous conversations, but where would you like to see Hux go next based on where The Last Jedi left him which was obviously looking ominously at Kylo Ren <laughs> on Crate. Yeah, I, I hope um Che Che continues from, from that ominous look into like Hux kind of trying to take action um against Kylo Ren. I think that'll probably be subtly, but I do hope we see more of his rivalry with Kylo Ren because that's kind of especially in Hux's arc, that's a big theme of him being pitted against Kylo Ren and kind of constantly being like put parallel against him and like the the film and the, the novels always kind of emphasize like these two guys they they hate each other and they're opposites and they're completely yeah. different and so I kind of want some more of that of of Hux v um Kylo and yeah. I just want to see how that dynamic it evolves um I would also like another scene um of if possible of Hux and and Poe just kind of you know, facing off because I think Donald has really good chemistry on screen with Oscar Isaac. So that's those are my two like big wishes. But I hope we just get at least decent amount of screen time. And I know Hux probably has to die, so I don't want like just a random off screen death. Like you know, like just some battle, and like yeah. it was like, oh yeah, Hux is on that ship that just blew up. Like <laughs> I, I don't want that. I don't think that. I, I want yeah. like an actual scene where like maybe Hux's last stand against like the Resistance or against Kylo Ren or or whoever, and he's just you know fights to the death or or just you know something where Donald can just go all out and like just totally ham it up and. I, yeah. I just yeah I want I just want some decent screen time and like a good last scene for for our general. Yeah, <laughs> I I I would want that as well. Like I don't want it to be like an Akbar situation. Oh, where, poor Akbar. Where, where it's like everyone was lost, including General Hux. <laughs> yeah, that would, be, <laughs> that would no. absolutely suck. Um, and yeah, I actually think there's a really interesting opportunity with Hux. And that you obviously have this situation where I, I don't feel like this, but quite a few fans seem to think that the character lost a lot of credibility in The Last Jedi and seemed mm. really weak and no. puny <laughs> and like he wasn't a threat anymore. And I think there's a real opportunity to take advantage of that perception. 
and start off episode nine with the film playing into that somewhat with him seeming weak or at a disadvantage but then he pulls it out of the bag and surprises everyone by doing some big power play that Mm. surprises everyone and makes them think oh my god this guy is really dangerous I think there's a good chance of that because I think part of the reason the audience doesn't take him seriously is because Kylo doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So he's got an opportunity there to kind of do something in the background without Kylo realizing. Yeah. Yeah, because Hux is all about scheming, kind of backstabbing. That's kind of how it's alluded to that he worked his way up through the academy and to where he is now, partially because of, you know, his dad, but partially because he's like a big backstabber that will like betray everyone just to, you know, achieve his goals in the end. So he's kind of more like of a like an indirect kind of makes moves behind your back kind of uh, a player, you know, in a in a conflict. So I, I could see him trying to like turn people against Kylo Ren or do something like that or like try to plan some kind of overthrow and so I think you know it, it's less direct what he can do but he there's still kind of a lot of a fight in him as we see from like the last scene that like he he's he's not happy and and he's ready to make his move I think yeah I know the idea of him planning a coup is a is a popular one but i heard recently that some people actually think that hux could be the one to kill kylo oh. wow what what do you think about that i don't think there's much chance of that because he's he's obviously important in that he's like a big figurehead for the first yeah. order along with kylo now um, but i don't really see him being the one to end the last Skywalker. well i think he could be the one to try to kill kylo <laughs> lucasfilm's not gonna kill kylo ren i'm, I'm pretty 99 percent sure about that he's, the last skywalker's not going to be killed in the last film about of the skywalker saga so i, I yeah. think it's i don't think yeah so either, i mean there's still a chance but like it's the last film of the trilogy of the whole trilogies about the skywalkers so they're not going to do something that dark and like say there's no redemption for for this character <laughs> that we've spent like the last movie showing his sad backstory with, with what happened with his uncle uh, no like so i think there could there could be like hux tries to kill kylo and has this like showdown with him but like hux most likely would probably die <laughs> rather than kylo ren like Kylo Ren's not going to die, but Hux might try, but we'll see. We'll see. There's lots of things JJ can do, but mm-hmm. I I don't think like we're going to have Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo die from General Hux. <laughs> die from General Hux. That literally makes him sound like a disease. <laughs> oh my god! I know what oh, you mean. Coming back to like what he did in the Phasma novel, I doubt he'd have the nerve to try and kill someone directly himself. Yeah, no, it's true. Like he he's kind of you know poison beetle bite with no trace. That's how he killed his dad. So he's more like poison or hire somebody to just take care of it. Like yeah, he's kind of that's why like the the older imperial officers kind of like resent him. Hux would be the one that wouldn't go on the field, you know, in in combat. He would just kind of be more to like stand back and like have other people follow out his orders and he's more like hands off and more like, you know, he's the authority figure who's who gives orders but doesn't like follow them out. So I think any like action towards Kylo Ren, it's more likely it'll be indirect and, but I mean, who knows? Maybe we will get like some kind of showdown. But I think it's in Hux's best interest not to directly 
like charge at Kylo Ren who could just feed him with the force anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Hux is more intelligent than that. Yeah, I, I don't think he, he would... Unless he's totally su- suicidal, but I, I don't think he's going to just charge at Kylo Ren with his blaster blazing or anything. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to think he's learned from how Kylo treats him in the last yes. part of The Last Jedi. <laughs> Throwing him around like a ragdoll. Yes. Yeah. You can do better. Yeah. Uh, should we maybe round the discussion out, Melissa, just with a discussion of some of your favourite parts from the novelization? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I really like the Last Jedi novelization. I think Jason Fry did a great job of like adding the character's inner dialogue that we wouldn't necessarily get just from watching the movie. And along with that, the novel gave some good insights to, you know, what's going on in Hux's mind. And it kind of reinforces some ideas we already had about how he hates Kylo Ren and just how desperate he is for power. So um, one of my favorite quotes, um, it kind of shows what Hux's like secret ambition is and like what his big goal is. Um, So I'm going to read it. Um, And the name of Armitage Hux would be remembered too. Of that, he was certain. It would be exalted as builder of the First Order's armies, architect of its technological revolution, and executioner of the New Republic. And, very soon, the destroyer of the Resistance, for which he would earn another reward, Hux mused. Commander of the Supremacy would be a great title, surpassed only by that of Supreme Leader Hux. Hux almost whispered these three words to himself, but caught himself in time. Snoke had spies everywhere in the First Order, including, quite possibly, electronic ones in the turbo lift leading to his private domain and the supremacy's heart. <laughs> I love the. I just love this quote so much. It's oh, just, I think that's wonderful. He's so paranoid about... He can't even whisper to himself, Supreme Leader Hux. It's just so good. But we see from this that that is his ambition that he wants to be supreme leader like he doesn't just want to climb a few ranks he wants to be the leader of the whole organization so um so when kylo gets the title that he wants like in in hux's mind he's like he has to do what he can to get that position so we know that hux wants to be supreme leader (laughs) yeah but I, i just love how he whispers it to himself like yeah. he's just like oh supreme leader hux how would that yeah. sound it's beautiful yeah. no it's fabulous like i'll tell you what it reminds me of it reminds me of a teen girl having a crush on a boy yeah <laughs> and the way she might practice writing her signature if she were like mrs whatever the boy's surname is yeah and yeah just be like oh my god wouldn't that be amazing like that is clearly hux with the title of supreme leader yes he's he's like in his little notebook with his gel pen supreme leader hux and like cursive <laughs> like with you know yeah. him. <laughs> oh my god in, in purple gel pen <laughs> yeah it also with does a great stars. job of capturing his egomania yes. the fact that he's clearly so like convinced that he deserves this that yeah. is his destiny it's, it's like it's only he deserves this he's the one who will destroy the resistance and he'll earn the reward and he'll be supreme leader and <laughs> yeah but it's it's an interesting look into his mind and it's it's pretty consistent with what we see on screen but it's just i really appreciated that little tidbit yeah yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of clear that Hux doesn't have anything besides his work, yes. right? Yes. 
there's no hint at a secret personal life or well, bes- any kind of hobbies. Robin's couch. He likes to sit on his couch. Yeah. But does he just sit on the couch? Like, you know, most people, they're going to sit on a couch, they like read a book or they play a video game, you know, does he just sit there lounging around? I, I bet he probably like... goes over like battle plans on his hollow pad or something, oh, God. Like, scheming and <laughs> scheming about not keeping Kylo Ren waiting. <laughs> oh man, he's so oh. boring. Like, I don't mean Bless. as a character, yeah, by no, the way. I, I love him as a character. I think it's very entertaining. No, he's, I, he's fabulous. But yeah, yeah it's just, just as a person. <laughs> to think, like, what a day on it. Like, if he, you know, ever he usually doesn't have a day off, probably. But if he would, like, what he would do with it. Like, wh- yeah. what would he do if he had free time? That it would be interesting. <laughs> he probably wouldn't know what to do with himself. That's that's yeah. why he's such a mess in Last Jedi. Because he's like, his career might be taken away from him and that's his whole life that's the only thing he has so (laughs) yeah yeah because at least kylo has like physical training and his calligraphy (laughs) (laughs) hux doesn't seem to like exercise like hang on a minute or go outside ever hang on a minute do we think that kylo actually still practices his calligraphy now he is oh oh, i hope he does oh my god he's writing love poems to ray for sure (laughs) yes That's the opening of episode nine. <laughs> Dear Ray, I always feel for you so intensely. I'll never send this letter. <laughs> it would be that sort of thing, you know. So he would never. Yeah, I mean, send he it. spends a lot of time in his rooms. It seems like so. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. He he sits and and writes diary entries. Ray, when our hands touched, I cannot stop thinking about that moment. <laughs> And everything I dreamed of came true in the moment of that vision. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I need to stop. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. And then I can see that you also have a quote about the conflict with Kaido yes. Ren, Melissa. Yeah. So so this is um, it's just kind of showing like how the, the narrative really likes to show um, how like Kylo and Hux, they're these opposites that are always pitted against each other. So mm-hmm. this is like right after um, Snoke's dead and Kylo starts giving Hux orders and then Hux says, Finish this? You presume to command my army? We have no ruler. The supreme leader is dead. Kylo said nothing. Screeching speeches and superheated rhetoric were Hux's departments. Sometimes action was a far more effective message. He raised his hand, commanding the force and directing it to coil around Hux's throat. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just sorry. It I really... shouldn't find everything funny. I just... No, it's, it's it is it is kind of funny because it's like, um, yeah, Kylo is just like, yeah, you can just go on all day. I'm just just gonna choke you out now, <laughs> pretty much. It's, um, it's just because throughout, um last Jedi and the force awakens it's like these two are complete opposites like hux hates the force and thinks it's a bunch of garbage and like um, kylo's a force user hux believes like in technology and and building up you know like the the hyperspace tracker that was a big part of last Jedi. that was like one of the big things he was pitting his hopes on and then kylo's all in tune to the force and these two are like like opposites kind of in any way you think about it you know like 
um, Ben could barely go through with killing his father and it tore him apart and Hux had Phasma disintegrate his father and he was happy about it and probably laughed about it so it's like these two couldn't be like any more different and it's just yeah. fun to kind of see that play out as they kind of clash um, in the narrative yeah no I agree and it's just eternally interesting to me that these two people who are so vastly different are technically on the same side as yeah. each other yeah and it's just very intriguing to it's, see it's good. what they do with and that I hope, yeah I hope that gets explored more in episode 9 because I absolutely love it and it's just it's just so good I just want to see them fight <laughs> Yeah, I was watching The Force Awakens again last night, and I really love that line of Hux's where he says, careful, Ren, that your personal interests not interfere with orders from Leader Snoke. And that's pretty much the running yeah, theme of the entire trilogy. True. Like, he, he has to recognise at this point, especially with the whole thing going down on Crate, that, like, Kylo is pretty much just driven by his vendetta against his family, yeah. like those feuds with his uncle and everything. Like, he doesn't care if the First Order succeeds. Like, Kylo Ren, even though he's, like, the leader now, I think he really does not care, like, if the First Order's, like, this ultimate, like, you know, power in the galaxy. He just wants to use them to, like, achieve, like, whatever his goal is now. Like, he, he doesn't care, you know, like like Hux that oh this, the first order is, is going to be like in this exalted position and I'm going to be supreme leader and people are going to worship me you know it's it's more like oh this is a means to an end of like you know whatever Kylo Ren wants to use with it now mm. yeah like at first he wanted it to be with Rey and then that yeah. didn't work out and he's like okay well I'll destroy her and my uncle and everyone then like it's so personal for him whereas for Hux it's like it must disgust him to see that yeah. with Kylo because it's like this is what I've spent my entire life building, and you just want to use it for your own personal means. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is almost like Hux doesn't have a personal side to him, really. Yeah, he doesn't really seem to experience any like positive human emotions, <laughs> like except and... being praised and, and yeah. thinking about being called supreme leader, Hux. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, he's so intense on his career yeah. and his ambition. He's really single-minded, yeah. whereas like Kylo's kind of all over the place and he has this kind of, you know, emotion, more emotional aspect and, you know, these re regretful feelings about his actions, whereas Hux probably would never lose steep over killing somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yep, and then would you just like to get to the final quote yeah, you course. have from the novelization? Yeah, I thought this is really, um, this shows how Hux is, towards the end of the film, already looking for opportunities to find weakness in Kylo, because he's, Hux sees a lot of what we're talking about with emotions, probably sees emotions in other people as a form of weakness, and mm. so we see this, this really, and it's also a really good look at this um, scene of um, Kylo seeing Luke walking out on crate. And how Kylo feels about Luke. Um, I'll read the quote. Um, Hux looked at Ren's face and saw terror, naked and undisguised. That fear meant weakness and opportunity. Supreme leader, Hux asked, careful to ensure his tone was that of a solicitous underling. Shall we advance? So... <laughs> Yeah, does he say that um in the shuttle when like like Kylo sees Luke? So yes, this is when they're in the shuttle and Luke walks out of the the doors where the resistance was holed up on on crate and when Luke just starts to approach them and they're like, you know, in their command shuttle. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it, it sees it shows that like Huck sees that Kylo's terrified by Luke and he's like, Aha, there's he has a weakness. How can I use utilize this? And then and then the line of trying to make keep his tone kind of solicitous, it's like he's trying to like play it straight with Kylo and that's probably how he's gonna go into episode nine, pretend to be like all loyal, like, How can I help you, Supreme Leader? And then like when you know, try and stab him in the back, like, you know, the next scene. So Yeah. It just shows how that dynamic's probably gonna keep because Kylo's probably still gonna be kind of a mess. Um and Hux is gonna be like, Ah, I can use this weakness. Um he has feelings, he has emotions, I I will use this against him, kind of. Yeah. I love the part where Kylo's going, more, yes. more. <laughs> and Hux is like, do you think you got it? <laughs> yes, that was so that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was sad because, you know, Kylo's that terrified by Luke, but it, it's funny of, like, Hux's reaction, like, you think you got him. That was a really funny comedic beat. Yeah, they really are such squabbling brothers in it's, that scene. It's good. I, I love the Hux-Kylo dynamic. It's really, it's really fun on screen. Yeah. No, they spark off each other really nicely. Yeah, it's really amazing that they have so much going on in those scenes. Because like you say, there is that genuine terror yeah. and fear from Kylo. And because we know why, it is really it is. sad. Because like, this is his uncle who like is expressing that he's sorry and he wishes that he hadn't done what he did, but it's, now it's too late. And Kylo is just so beyond angry at him. Yeah. That it is like, oh god, how are they ever going to resolve this? But of course that has to wait yeah, for Yeah, I can't wait. But then there's such comedy. Yeah, it's, it's re- that really shows how good Ryan's script was. because We have all these layers in every scene. And you could read for this, like, oh, these, this is kind of on the surface level. Oh, this is funny. This is comedic. And then it's like, oh, this part of this, though, is kind of sad. Because, you know, it alludes to kind of this sad backstory. So I think in like a lot of the scenes in Last Jedi, you can kind of go on so many different levels and look at all these different things going on and that's why I think it's like such a good film yeah definitely um yeah unless you have anything else to say um Melissa well I'm sure you have loads to say but like (laughs) about um the specific topics we're covering today yeah I think that's a really good note to wrap up on yeah yeah so I just hope that we get more Huck scenes. I mean, I'm not expecting as many as that were in Last Jedi, but if, mm. if there is, it'll be good. But I hope they just keep using Donald to the, you know, to his potential because it's a really great character and Donald really like hams it up so good as yeah. Huck. So I hope we get to see a lot more of Huck's and and then whichever way it goes down, I'm with the first order and everything. I'm sure it'll be really interesting. So I'm, yeah. I'm just really looking forward to episode nine, and I hope we get a teaser or a trailer sometime soon. Yeah, but I'll hold out till celebration. Otherwise, but yeah, but I'm just next year's gonna be so exciting for Star Wars, and I I just can't wait. It's just gonna be a wild year, I think. Yeah. It's crazy the amount of stuff that's come in, like between all the TV shows and episode nine and Galaxy's Edge, which I won't be able to go to. So it's just no. going to be a bit of like an abstract thing for me. But yeah, like it's all going to be amazing. Yeah. So yeah, it's very exciting. There's another Thrawn book coming out as well, oh right? Oh my god! And you're a big fan of I'm Thrawn. so excited about that <laughs> book. You have no idea. I just jumped out of my chair because I knew like Zahn was planning on writing more, and it's just he's a bit limited right now until like. Uh, episode nine comes out and they all kind of square away what he's like allowed to touch on with some of the characters like he can't like write about Ezra for example because they still don't know what they're doing with him probably but 
it's just oh my gosh I, I can't wait to see more of, of Thrawn and I really want more Chist characters in canon because um he Zon recanonized Thrawn recanonized Admiral Arlani who are fr- who's from some of the Legends books but I really hope we see both some new Chist characters and then maybe some of my kind of favorites like um Thrawn's brother Thross is one of my favorite characters he shows up in the book Outbound Flight by Timothy Zahn and he's um Thrawn's brother that's pretty much kind of like looks out for him and he's like tragically like killed in the end of the book because he pretty much saves a bunch of people's lives and it's just like I love him so much and it's like I want him back is he in the Empire too? Um, no. So um, in Outbound Flight, it's with younger Thrawn. He's still part of the Chiss defense fleet. So he's still living among oh, the Chiss. Okay. And his brother is like kind of part of the political hierarchy. And um, what happens is like the there's this settlement ship from the Empire called Outbound Flight. And like long story short, like the Palpatine tries to mess with it, like to kind of undermine it and kill because there's a bunch of Jedi on board and stuff. And um, they the just kind of find the ship and a lot of stuff goes down, but pretty much the ending is that um, Thross, Thrawn's brother and a Jedi named Lorana, they pretty much sacrifice themselves by crashing into a planet because the ship is like stuck moving forward and they flip the ship over so that they die but like the passengers at the bottom of the ship survive and it's just really really sad and it's like i hope if he brings back his brother in canon then maybe his brother can be alive not just for one book and then tragically die but no i just Mm -hmm. i just love i just love these characters so much and so i hope we see some more of them, but I otherwise some new chist characters would be nice too because I think they're really interesting kind of you know species and it would be good for like more like non-human characters to kind of I know they're starting to do that a bit but just more non-human characters in general would be cool in in Star Wars and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm very excited about that book. We'll also see Eli Vanto, which was a character introduced in the first Thrawn novel. And he's kind of like um, Thrawn's aide in, in the Empire. And then he was sent to the Chiss Ascendancy on some kind of mysterious thing. And he's going to come back and like tell Thrawn, oh, they're all in danger or something. But Eli Vanto's great. He's like a space cowboy. And he has like a, a lot of fans, at least in the Thrawn section of the fandom. And... Yeah, I, I, we're so excited that he's going to be back. So we hope yeah. we get a bit of a tidbit of, of the book at Celebration. And because there's going to be a lot of authors there as well. So that Oh, I'm sure you will. Oh, yeah, I think Timothy Zahn has been announced. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, so I have to decide what books to bring to have him sign. Like, I wish I could take all of my Zahn books, but it's like my my back's going to be overweight. I, I can only pick a couple. So Yeah, you have to oh. use self-restraint. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, so anyway, that was a really nice conversation, Melissa. So yeah. thank you very much for joining us. It was really cool. Um, yeah, would you like to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, of course. So um, on Tumblr, I'm Hux fan blog. Um, I've also made a pillow fort now, just in, in case, you know, everything goes under with Tumblr. Um, <laughs> yes. And I also, it's just kind of fun to experiment with different platforms. So on, on pillow fort, I, I'm Raylo Knight. So Raylo and then N I T E, and then mm-hmm. on Twitter I'm Blue Star Prince, and I'm I'm kind of 
generally active but like i'm on tumblr a lot we'll see if that stays that way but, yes um but yeah just send me like a question or anything if you just want to chat anytime about hux or thrawn or just star wars in general and yeah and i'm excited maybe i'll see some of all of you guys at celebration next year and oh totally yeah yeah i hope we can that'd be great yeah be because really I, great. I haven't met you in person yet kirsty so it'd be nice but i'm I'm really excited for celebration next year just to meet like a bunch of people from fandom that you know you might not normally see and or meet new people too and yeah so next year's gonna be fab i think yeah no i'm really looking forward to it uh yeah so thank you melissa and yeah thank you thank so much you. for coming um, on and happy really holidays great. to everybody oh thank too. you, you too. merry huxmas <laughs> 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 bye melissa bye take care okay so now we've said goodbye to melissa we can move into our spoiler section which makes the surprisingly quick return from last week shouldn't do it um right and then the first thing we want to talk about is that making star wars have a report with various little bits and pieces so yeah the first thing that jason mentioned in this report is that he's heard some rumors about a commercial that's being filmed for the disney channel um and yeah, would you like to read out a bit about this, Kirsty? Yeah, it sounds like he has a source who was at Disney World and it looked like there was a commercial being filmed when he was there. Um, mm-hmm. The director kept reminding the host that this is for Christmas morning so the actors could accurately capture the spirit of the event. During one of the cutscenes, the actors on the stage said very clearly and stay tuned for a first new look at a galaxy far, far away. So I guess the question is whether that would relate to a new project like Episode Nine, or if it's something about galaxy's edge since they're at disneyland but either way something new is probably coming for the christmas period yeah i would bet money on it being for galaxy's edge to be honest if it's going to be on the disney channel so i think i can't remember where i read it but i saw someone mention that historically the disney channel will have in the festive season broadcast a preview of what's coming up for the disney parks and yeah, it just showcases all the attractions that are coming in the next year. And yeah, Galaxy's Edge would be a very natural fit for that. So I think that this little promo is likely to be about that. Yeah, as much as I'd love to get something for episode nine. <laughs> yeah, I kind of resolved to it not happening by Christmas now, to be honest, because I think we would have heard something because yeah, Christmas is 10 days away. And like all the big movies that a trailer would be put in front of, they're coming out so time is really running out Mm -hmm. yeah so time is running out for any episode 9 promo basically yeah it's just a bit too early they're still filming so yeah exactly I reckon we'll get the title in January like we did for The Last Jedi yeah that's not too far away so exactly and that in itself will be very exciting (laughs) oh yeah that will spawn a whole new generation of theories (laughs) yes oh my god can you imagine um Right, and then the next part of Jason's story is that he mentions various goings-on at Pinewood Studios. Right, okay, yep. So he basically talks about what they've been building at the studio. So he says, The architecture is interesting and has a very familiar feeling, but also has a little something new to it. 
it almost seems a little like Maz's castle meets Jules Verne or the future of the past. That said, we could still be missing the larger picture despite the images we've been able to show you so far. I think they're definitely missing the larger picture. <laughs> yes. That's inevitable. <laughs> But okay. Yeah, no, exactly. You always get a very limited view. Yeah, and and it's worth pointing out at this point that the article um, that Jason posted with this information it is accompanied by some photos of Pinewood. Um, yeah, you really can't tell much, to be honest. It's just lots of scaffolding and towers. But... Yeah, it looks like a kind of castle structure, like he says, but beyond that, you can't really deduce too much. Exactly. Yeah, and then Jason goes on to say, there are also rumours that there's an 8 to 10 foot purple green turtle with spikes on the monster's shell. Supposedly the puppet is pretty impressive and like something out of the never ending story. I've told my source pictures or it isn't happening. <laughs> so as of this minute it isn't happening unless we get to see it right. <laughs> um, yeah and I want you to remember that creature for a moment just because it comes up later on in our next segment. And, yep, he finishes off by talking about how there have recently been some set visits to Pinewood. And, yep, he said that some people were surprised to learn that they used salt as fake snow. That practice happened for The Empire Strikes Back, as well as other films made at Pinewood recently, like Everest and The Force Awakens. My guess at this point is that we shouldn't expect snow in episode 9. Hopefully our Pinewood sources fill us in soon. Wait, doesn't, wait what? Doesn't, doesn't he mean that we should expect snow? Like, we should expect it, because someone visited and said they're using salt as fake snow. Yeah, otherwise he seems to be discrediting what the, that person reported. Yeah, I think it's a there typo. isn't any reason given. Yeah, I think it's likely a typo too. Because, yeah. We're likely to get snow, guys, basically. That's the takeaway. I'm happy about that. I love snow in Star Wars, and I also love crazy big monsters in Star Wars. So, mm-hmm. bring them on. I love Lady Proxima in Solo. She's one of my favourite parts of Solo. Yeah, she really was. My only regret is that we don't get more of her, to be honest. She's a great character, Uh especially in um, the Most Wanted book. I love her there. Yeah, really awesome. Yeah. Then would you like to touch upon the next two bits of the article, Kirsty? Yeah. Speaking of planets, I spoke to a few more sources about the worlds of Star Wars Episode Nine. One source we trust was pretty clear that to them, they didn't see one world as a desert planet as much as a rocky planet. If you recall, we didn't know if it was Tatooine or Jakku. Well, the original Jakku that was going to be filmed in Jordan for The Force Awakens did have a lot more rock formations than the Abu Dhabi-based Jakku we got in that film. So right now, if we had to guess, we think this world looks more like the concepts for Jakku from The Force Awakens. Jeddah may be a better bet than Jakku now, but that's still a wild bet. In other words, it seems to be more of a rock planet than a sand planet. And by rock, we mean large pieces of minerals and dirt, and not the Bandio or the droid with a similar name. Uh, the way he writes is so funny Um, it really is yeah so yeah maybe maybe they're backtracking on Jakku a little bit not that they said that was ever certain but yeah maybe it's a completely new planet (laughs) who knows yeah I mean I like the poetry of going back to Jakku but I also like new planets in Star Wars so I'm happy either way to be honest yeah the next part Um, The crew has moved back into Black Park for further filming. In the last year, we've seen Black Park filming for the Falcon, and we even saw an X-Wing, which we thought was orange, but it could be the helicopter's cameras sensing heat traces in the wood, making it seem orange. (laughs) Today, we saw them putting in charred, prefabricated trees that are meant to look scorched into the area. So they're obviously doing more location filming there and Mm -hmm. building it up into more of a wooded area. 
So is that different yeah. from the place that they thought was going to be a jungle planet, or is that the same place? I think even Jason isn't sure of that, to be honest. I think he suggested in the past that they might be using Black Park for various different locations. Um, and yeah, I guess it's the sort of thing that's almost impossible to tell from the outside, because they they would just kind of blend into each other. Yeah, so <laughs> that's a real non-spoiler spoiler. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure you've come away from this whole section feeling incredibly informed about everything you can expect from episode nine. But yeah, it's something. I I don't want to be ungrateful because, yeah, I want whatever I can get, basically. Yeah, I guess the big things are potential Galaxy Edge promotion and um, these castle locations or sets, I should say, and this monster. Yeah. Exactly, it's entertaining. Well, that stuff. Remember when um, they were coming out with the spoilers for The Last Jedi and they couldn't work out what the Tala Siren was? I oh, think yes, there was some. I remember that. Well, there was conflation with the sea monster because you do see a sea monster in the background from one shot, but it's not yeah. like Ray fights them or anything. Yeah. So it's, it's... I'm curious as to how Jason even heard of the sea monster, to be honest. It seems like he heard two separate things. And yeah, then they were combined, even though they were separate things in the movie. Yeah, so it's really hard to build context around these things. It almost it seems silly to even talk about them because there's nothing we can build on. Exactly. The um next story, however, is much more juicy and fun to talk about. Oh, and I guess you need the stuff from Jason to then see this stuff and like build on whether it's trustworthy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because this next story actually integrates very seamlessly with the one we've just spoken about. Um, because yeah, Jason obviously referred to there being rumours of an 8-10 foot purple-green turtle with spikes on the monster's shell. And what's most intriguing, and Jason acknowledges this in his article, is that a few weeks before Jason posted his article, there was a report on Reddit that said this, Snake turtle is a massive prop. Everyone was a little scared of it. The turtle is greenish-purple. So... That's obviously interesting because that is some very specific details. So you have turtle, you have huge, and you have greenish purple. I would say that's impossible to be a coincidence. Would you say, Kirsty? Uh, I would say so. For it to not be a coincidence and just be like it would be a case of Jason looking at this Reddit rumor and building off of that, which I don't believe he would do. So yeah. I think it's a case of, okay, these two things seem very similar, so there has to be something going on here. Yeah, exactly. There's a possibility that the person who posted this to Reddit like, is also a source of Jason's independently, without Jason being aware that it's the same person, um, and that they could be feeding like fabricated information. I think that's a bit far-fetched, though, and I think Jason probably wouldn't report on something like this. Unless he'd heard it from more than one person. Yeah, because he's very careful to put stuff out unless he's heard it from a few different sources, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but what's most interesting about that li- little tiny detail is that the person who posted it is a Reddit user called Tamiri Black, who's the little broom boy from the end of The Last Jedi, so a nice clever name. Uh, Yeah, and this user has posted some quite elaborate and surprising leaks um, for episode 9, basically. And yeah, when I first saw these leaks, before 
Jason had posted anything relating to them. They seemed completely wild and far-fetched, so I didn't pay any attention to them. But it's worth giving them the time of day, now that there seems to be some crossover with what Jason is hearing. So yeah, would you like to read out the report, Kirsty? Okay, so this is from November. Hi, Star Wars Leaks community. I have some juicy info on the currently untitled Episode 9. I performed as an extra for two scenes at Pinewood Studios that I'm sure you'll love to hear about, so here it goes. We were a guerrilla militia in a secret type of bunker on the planet of Batu. There is not a lot of tech that you usually see in a Star Wars movie. More hunter and gatherer type of group. Members of this group in the background are all seen smithing weapons and keeping busy in other ways. We are trying to keep under the nose of the First Order. The architecture is magnificent and will be a real visual treat for viewers. Now Poe, Finn and Chewbacca enter with other members of the Resistance and members of our group. They are greeted by Don Monaghan, who is wearing a very cool costume. Naomi Aki is here as Veronada, Vera Calrissian. There is no mention of a formal leader, but they seem to be more in leadership roles. They discuss a recent skirmish that happened while the Resistance arrived to the planet. They seem to slightly be at odds. Poe confronts Dom's character and Dom laughs. He is a complex character, it would seem. He may have lost a friend or something in this skirmish, but is livid and excited. Naomi's character says they found something valuable at the cost of losing several soldiers. Enters an accompanied horse with several children with masks on. A body is seated with a bag over their head. He gets dropped down. Revealed to be a cowering donor, General Hux. He admits surrender and is searched by Dominic, who prods him with an instrument and taunts him. To Naomi's character's displeasure. This is near the end of Act 1. So I'm assuming this group of rebels joins Leia and the remaining resistance and side characters that are still around to face the First Order head-on during where they later filmed in Africa. Also, I have a friend who did a scene with Poe, Finn, and also Daisy. She has a lightsaber hilt on her belt. So this stuff kind of reminds me of the... Not to say like I believe it, but it would seem to tie in with those early images we got of John Boyega and um, Oscar Isaac out filming, the ones that were caught by the yeah. Daily Mail and other places. Because Chewbacca yeah. was there, and it looked like Naomi Aki was there too. I didn't see Don Monaghan. I might have to go back and look at those pictures, but you'd think that if he was there, someone would have spotted him. Yeah, no, that's true. And yeah, I think in the comments where this person was being asked about this, they were like linked to the pictures, and they said, oh yeah, the characters are wearing the same costumes, which would suggest like a connection between the scenes, which is intriguing. Again, just like for the sake of argument saying that we believe this, I could see those like outdoor scenes with Naomi Aki, Finn and Oscar, like following on from what's been described here. Like maybe as like a goodbye or something. Yeah. I'm not sure what to make of this. <laughs> but yeah, like to be honest, hearing it again it seems more plausible to me than I first imagined it to be. That's again, that's unfair since with the benefit of hindsight and having that bit about the turtle to reinforce it but I don't know I, I can see it kind of I think yeah like all leaks kind of sound crazy whether they're true or not like the stuff that was coming yeah. out of The Last Jedi as people were actually watching it people were like oh that doesn't sound like something that's actually going to happen because yeah. you miss so much of the context I would have to say if this person was just an extra in these scenes I'm impressed with the level of detail they've been able to remember and how much they deduce, because yeah. it's like, we know we're on the planet Batu. I know that that character's supposedly the daughter of Lando. It's like, what well, is that yeah. said outright in the scene? You know, yeah. how much would how much information would you be given? 
yeah I think when I read it for the first time that was really like the red flag for me is like there's no way an extra would know this much about what was going on you know they're very careful like as far as I understand to keep information from extras wherever possible so yeah and it seems like if there's going to be this much significant plot stuff happening like in a single scene would you really film that scene with this many people around who might present a risk of leaks which yeah is a big question mark and a big red flag about this whole thing yeah it might be the case that the bare bones of it are true and that these characters are together somewhere discussing stuff but Mm. then they're kind of trying to pad it out with story but who knows at the end of the day the only thing we have to like base this on in terms of credibility is the fact that he also mentioned that same monster yes so just something to consider yeah and another thing in terms of credibility is that he was asked to identify the agents that hired him or the agency i think because there's agencies that hire extras for these sorts of films and he named the specific agency and gave some other details and someone who has worked as an extra on these films in the past did come along and say, yeah, this information is true. These people have hired extras for Star Wars films in the past, um, which is notable. Okay. It's possible the person just found that information out through like a Google search or something. But I don't know how easily that information could have been found. Although I must say, it seems very, very foolish to like say, oh yeah, these people hired me. Because right. we know for a fact that they're going to hunt you down. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, dude, <laughs> why are you doing this? Because I presume that everyone involved with that shoot would have been signing an NDA. So yeah, you don't just go out and start blabbing about it on Reddit. <laughs> Especially so casually. Yeah, I think in one of the comments he says, I wouldn't want to reveal my position or anything. So he knows that like, if they could identify him, he'd be in big trouble. Yeah. But they can't have had so many extras in there that it would have been impossible to work out yeah. who it was. But who knows? Yeah, if this is legitimate, it's the sort of situation where I could see them literally like interviewing all of them <laughs> to like find out who it was. Oh no. And then coming down on them. So yeah, this poor guy. Yeah, like the main thing I think that's important and interesting in this leak, in air quotes, is the whole idea of Hux being captured by the Resistance, especially so early in the film. That seems very unexpected, but it's also interesting. And yeah, I was just wondering what we thought of that, especially coming off the discussion we've just had with Melissa about Hux and where they might take that character in episode nine. It's hard to tell. Really, mm. because, like, does this make Hux too much of an important factor in the plot? Yeah. If you're opening the story with something like this? Yeah. We're feeling around in the dark. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, we really are feeling around in the dark. Like, it depends on how much JJ wants to use him. Like, obviously, that's, like, a basic thing. Um, but, yeah, Donald is a talented actor. I think there's potential for him to do some really cool stuff and to surprise people with what he could bring to that character and what the character could present as a risk because yeah like I said in the spotlight with Melissa I do think that they might play the whole angle of initially everyone estimate underestimates him including the resistance and including the viewers and then he turns everything on its head and reveals himself to be a real power player with like a real chance of asserting himself as a threat and yeah, if he is captured like this, I think he would manipulate the situation in some way to suit him and to serve his own purposes. Like, whether that would be, 
like contriving his own capture so that he can like engineer things so that the resistance like go against Kylo and therefore like Hux can have a way in in terms of there being a leadership vacuum in the First Order after Kylo's distracted. Yeah, otherwise like finding himself captured without wanting to be captured but then thinking on his feet and finding a way to use the situation to his advantage as much as possible. Yeah, it just sounds to me potentially like it could make Hux more important than he actually is. Mm. But I don't know. Again, it's like, well, is this a quick scene? How much does it play yeah. into the wider plot? What yeah. does it mean for Kylo's arc? Because like, at the end of the day, that's what Hux will be serving in the movie. Yeah. So. Well, there's the open question of who is going to be the villain of the movie if Kylo is redeemed. Like, unless Kylo's redeemed right at the very end of the film, last minute, like, a la Darth Vader, they're going to need someone else to, like, function as an antagonist. So either they introduce, like, a completely new character to serve that role, or they have to, like, repurpose an existing character and build them up. Yeah, that's the thing. Again, it depends on Kylo's art, really, doesn't it, fundamentally, so... Yeah, which we don't know. Um, right, cool. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, thank you for bearing with us and your patience, <laughs> because yeah, this one has been quite long, to put it mildly, although we substantially less long after editing. <laughs> so much digression. Um, but yeah, and I also wanted to just announce that this will be the last episode for 2018, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, after this, we're both going to be traveling for Christmas and spending time with our families and also meeting up with each other, which would be really cool. Um, but yeah, like I feel really lucky to have this podcast and to be able to have such great souls conversations with you every week, Kirsty. Oh, don't get all mushy on me, Rachel. It's just like, it's the end of the year and it's like, oh my God, it, the weight of everything is hitting me finally. Oh no, I can't believe we've been doing this for two years now. I know it's so it's so crazy but it's wonderful I love yeah it's a lot of fun and yeah it's great and I love hearing from the listeners and yeah it's just a fantastic experience so I'm really glad for the power of the modern world (laughs) that means anyone can podcast basically but yeah you can find me on tumblr at stars nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars how about you Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on tumblr and scavengers horde on twitter Thank you and goodbye and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Bye everyone. Bye.